listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you. Uh, I enjoyed the table talk time that we had earlier this summer. And when Pastor Luke called and asked if I would be willing to fill in today, uh, I've been looking forward to this. What a singing church you've got. This has really been enjoyable to be with you this morning and and to uh, praise the Lord with you. The uh, passage that I am sharing with you this morning is from Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first part of verse 14, and then we'll jump down to verse 22 through 38. So, Acts chapter 2, beginning with uh, the first part of verse 14, and then jumping down to 22. Shall we stand together as we hear the word of the Lord? Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your holy ones see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence." Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, 
Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, this is your word today. Your word is truth. Bless this word to our hearts and minds that it might transform us more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you're familiar with the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, you might know that as you read through these works of Dr. Luke, he likes to press a particular question upon his readers. Who is this man? Who is this man, Jesus, called the Christ? Is he just an ordinary man? Or is he a prophet? A king, perhaps? Or worse, a charlatan? Perhaps even a lunatic? Who do you say Jesus is? In today's passage, following the miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Peter answers that question. And he begins this way. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Accredited by God. What does that mean? Well, take, for example, Lutheran Brethren Seminary. It's an accredited school. What does that mean? It means that an authoritative independent accrediting agency has conducted an on-site visit, evaluated our school against nationally recognized standards, and then awarded a certification that the institution is in compliance with these standards and demonstrates competence to accomplish its mission and to do what it delivers, to deliver what it promises. Peter says the accrediting agency for Jesus Christ is none other than God Himself. You can't get any more authoritative than that, can you? But how are his listeners to know this? Remember when John the Baptist was in prison? He he began to wonder, is this cousin of mine, this Jesus, is he really the Messiah? So he sent his own disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And do you remember how Jesus answered him? He told them, go and report to John what you hear and see. 
The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor are told the good news. Very similar to what is said here where Peter said Jesus was accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through Him as you yourselves know. To paraphrase, you know this. This all happened right before your very eyes. You know this. Nevertheless, says Peter, what did you do with Jesus? You took Him and crucified Him, the worst form of punishment that the Romans could dish out. Oh, but hold on, we might say. Peter said, didn't he? God handed Him over. God handed him over to the Jews according to God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. So isn't God responsible for what happened to him? Well, yes, it was in God's plan to hand him over, but that does not excuse what the Jews did to him. Luke is saying the fact that the cross was in God's plan in no way lessens the crime. The crime of those who crucified God's Son Their guilt remains. And it's not only the Jews of Peter's day for whom the crucifixion of the Messiah is a conundrum. The meaning of the crucifixion troubles many in the church today, including many pastors. Some are asking, what are we to make of this ancient Reformation atonement theory that a wrathful God of vengeance poured out His wrath on His holy and innocent Son to punish Him for our sins. What kind of a father would do that? God is a God of love, not a God of wrath. Certainly there must be some other explanation. People today have a hard time dealing with the wrath of God, accepting that God can have wrath. So some say Jesus must have been a liberating revolutionary who was crushed by the power of his oppressors. But this modern interpretation of what the cross was all about falls short in several ways. Let's listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Roman church about its spiritual pride and lack of repentance. Romans 2, 5 through 8 says, Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Now, considering all of this, 
First, let's take notice that love and wrath are not incompatible. Tim Keller once defined wrath as settled opposition and hatred of that which is destroying what we love. Sin destroys, doesn't it? So wrath is settled opposition and hatred of that which is destroying what we love. In fact, there are times where the deeper the love, the greater the anger with the one who is loved. Keller gave this example. If you had a brother or a close friend who was battling with some self-destructive behavior or addiction, which was ruining his life, you would not just sit by indifferently. You'd be angry at him. You'd confront him. You would not be afraid to offend him by passing judgment on his behavior. The greater our love for someone, the greater our potential anger at what is destructive in their lives. God's wrath is expressed toward that which is destroying those he loves. Secondly, to save humanity from the destructive forces of sin, as one person of the triune God, Jesus willingly took our sin upon Himself and made it His own. As the Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That means that on the cross, Jesus lovingly and willingly took our place assuming our sins as His own and answering for them as if the guilt were His own. In this act, the broken relationship between us and God was mended and healed and we were reconciled to God in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, God the Father was not distant and uninvolved in all of this. In fact, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, God was in Christ. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself. Notice the phrase, God was in Christ. The entire Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, were actively working together in unison, jointly, in the reconciling act bringing us and God back together. Although distinct persons, the members of the Trinity, are never divided or separated from each other. The mystery of the Trinity is that these three distinct persons are always and at the same time one in essence. What one does, the others are participating in. One commentator put it this way. I like the way he put this. We must never set a gentle, loving Jesus over against an angry, vengeful God. It was by God Jesus was sent. It was God who planned the coming of Jesus into the world. We may put it this way, he said. The cross was a window in time to allow us to see the suffering love which is eternally in the heart of God. Let's hear that again. The cross was a window in time to allow us to see 
the suffering love which is eternally in the heart of God. As another theologian put it, the pain of God was rooted in His totally embracing that which should not be embraced. And that's you and me, isn't it? Totally embracing that which should not be embraced. The suffering love which is eternally in the heart of God. But wait, we might say, when Jesus was dying on the cross, didn't He call out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? Yes, He did. These words from Psalm 22, verse 1 appear in Matthew's Gospel where Matthew ties these words back to the anointed King David who was ultimately pointing ahead to the work of the coming Messiah. So when Matthew quotes those words, he's talking about the coming anointed Messiah. Okay? But Mark's Gospel also records those words and he puts a little different focus on them. They're, they're not in tension, they're not opposed to each other. Mark is just bringing out another facet of those words. Mark is showing us that Jesus, although He is the divine Son of God, is also fully human. Like we just heard in the little story here about the hamster, right? He became one of us. He became fully human. In His humanity, in His human vulnerability, facing death, Jesus took our sin as His own. He fully experienced the abandonment of the Father as a sign of God's wrath toward our sin and its destructive powers. As we sing in the song, In Christ Alone. In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones He came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on Him was laid. Here, in the death of Christ, I live. The song beautifully speaks of the wonderful exchange that happened in Christ's death and resurrection. Jesus took your sin and mine upon Himself. He took your sin and mine upon Himself. And in exchange, He gave you and me His gift of righteousness. So, returning now to our passage. As the crowds witness God pouring out His Holy Spirit on His apostles, why do you think, why do you think Peter immediately in explanation links that phenomenon back to the cross? Isn't that interesting? The Holy Spirit is being poured out on these people. What, what's this all about? Peter says, it's all about the cross. And why does he go to such lengths to convince them that the cross was in God's plan all along? 
For one thing, this form of death was unacceptable to the Jews. In their mind, the Messiah couldn't possibly die such a death. Why? Because in their book of Deuteronomy, none other than Moses said, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. How could the Messiah be cursed? It's a stumbling block. Peter knows full well why the crucifixion is a stumbling block to the Jews acknowledging Jesus as their Messiah and Lord. But again, he reminds them that this too was all prophesied in their own scriptures. When David wrote Psalm 16, he was speaking as a prophet about the Messiah to come. He spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead. Jesus felt that abandonment on the cross as God turned his face away, but he was really not abandoned. God did not leave him in the grave. God raised him up again. You can't have a resurrection without first having a death. That's what Peter's getting at. The final proof for the cross is, of course, the resurrection. Once we accept the truth of Christ, raised victoriously from the grave, triumphant over sin and death, this divine miracle changes you. The once timid and impulsive fisherman named Peter is seen here in our text as a bold witness for Christ and a leading voice in the early church. Those who heard Peter that day were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And what did Peter reply? Repent. Have a change of mind. Do a U-turn. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The pouring out of the Spirit is the promised follow-up to Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. So let us hear afresh today Luke's implied question. Who is this man? He is the prophesied victor over sin and death. He is the author of our salvation. And because the Son of God was faithful in complete and willing submission to the Father's will, God exalted him. Peter again quotes from David, this time from Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Who is this man? Peter concludes, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He is our Savior. He is the ruler over all creation, over all that has been made. C.S. Lewis summed it up well in his book, Mere Christianity, when he said this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. 
I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept His claim to be God. Lewis continues, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So for you today, who is this man? Let us pray. Father, today we too want to be assured of this. That God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, our Savior our Lord, our ruler over all that has been made. We ask it in His name. Amen. Let's stand together as we are able and sing together in Christ alone. And may this song be your faith confession today.
the ground his body lay light of the world by darkness Thank you, worship team. Pastor Matheson is right. We are a singing church, aren't we? And thank you, uh, Pastor Matheson, for uh, bringing forth a word this morning. Um, okay, at this point, I would like to call forward the ushers uh, for this morning's offering. Okay, while the ushers pass the plates, I've got a few announcements that I just want to bring to everybody's attention. Uh, we're just two weeks away from the kickoff of the fall Sunday school uh, season. If you guys have not picked up a book of uh, his story in the back, we still have quite a few left. Uh, and if we have some left over, by all means, if you've got a neighbor who you've invited to this church, uh, we can, we'll have some extras to pass out to, to some friends as well. Um, just so you know, um, one thing that I think we've always been passionate about at this church is we not get away from the Word, uh, whether it is from the pulpit or, or during the Sunday school classes. And his story is not just a book. It is the Word, um, and it's more of a, in, in a chronological form that's easy to study in, in a Sunday school format. So um, 
Pray for the leaders. We, we do have uh, all the Sunday school leaders, uh, the, all the positions filled at this point. Um, having said that, there are some uh, openings for some helpers, uh, particularly for the younger Sunday school classes. So if you feel you can serve in that capacity, um, uh, please make that known. Also, there's a table in the back. Uh, there's some free stuff that we're trying to uh, find some homes for. If, if anybody is interested in that, there's some chairs uh, that could go uh, for a free will offering. Um, also, and just in case you haven't heard, and I guess I did mention this earlier, but uh, Eleanor Larson did pass earlier this week. Um, long been a pillar of this church, uh, her and her family. Uh, so pray for the family. If, um, if you want details on the visitation uh, or the uh, funeral service, that can be found at the Roy Hetland uh, website. But just so you know that the visitation will be here at this church Thursday from 4 to 7, and the funeral will be Friday morning at the Osakis Lutheran Church for a larger facility uh, at 11 o'clock Friday morning. Pray for the high school seniors uh, that have moved on. Uh, many of them started their classes just this past week, so pray for them and their families. Uh, we had a real good discovery class that wrapped up this past Sunday, and for those of you who attended that and wish to pursue uh, membership in the church, you'll be uh, contacted on that. Um, also, don't forget we've got the Financial Peace uh, University class um, that we are still, uh, we've got enrollment open for that. So. Uh, I think we've only had one or two couples sign up for that. Uh, we're going to need more if, if we're going to hold that. So, um, and that's not just sort of for people who have financial concerns. It's for everybody. I think we all could um, manage our finances a little bit better, and, and, and that's a real good class, uh, a biblically-based class. Um, lastly, I'll just remind you that uh, we are doing donuts and refreshments in the basement. We're going to do that through next week until the Sunday school uh, class um, begins. With that, I'm going to give you a benediction that will be found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within, him, within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K J O L H A U G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. <laughs>